All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. And uh, just to be uh, here with people that I know probably uh, about as good as I will ever know anyone. And um, so I, I just, I, I really enjoy coming together Sunday morning. I want to start off this morning by sharing a little story about my wife, Christy, when she was a little girl. I just found this out here this past week, and uh, I thought it just, just went really well with what I'm going to be preaching about today. So when Christy was a little girl, her family would have family devotions in the family room every evening. They would get together and maybe share, share a Bible story and maybe uh, sing some songs and, and pray together. One evening, Christy um, asked her dad, Dad, I need to go use the restroom. Can I be excused? Uh, so her dad said, sure, we'll just wait on you. So little Christy pitter-patters out of the room. And uh, instead of going to the restroom, she went to the kitchen. And uh, in the kitchen, she climbed up the counter with her little legs and opened up the cupboard and reached way back in and grabbed a bag of chocolate chips. And uh, she quickly stuffed her mouth full of chocolate chips and chomped down on them and swallowed and then came back down and pitter-pattered back into the family room with chocolate smudges all over her mouth. So uh, when uh, it was time to pray, the children would all take t- uh, turns praying. And when it was her turn, turn to pray, she folded her little hands and, and closed her, squeezed her eyes tight and said, Dear Jesus, please help Zach and Sherry to not eat any chocolate chips. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next evening, what do you think would have happened if she asked her mom and dad, can I be excused to use the restroom? They they probably wouldn't have believed her. They probably wouldn't have trusted her. And I guess in, in Christy's mind, what would she be thinking? How would she deal with that? How would she be, how would she be thinking about, how should I deal with the fact that my parents don't believe me? And this is a, a common human problem. It's a problem that goes way back to the beginning of time. And one of the human inventions that we've used to, to deal with the lack of trust and, the, and, and our words losing power is the practice of, of swearing, of using oaths. And that is what James uh, chapter 5 is dealing with today. I'm just going to go ahead and pass these out to each side. Just, I thought more about the kids, but I know you adults like chocolate too, so feel free to eat one or two or however many you want to. <laughs> Open your Bibles to uh, James chapter 5. So at, for the visitors who are here this morning, we've been working through the book of James over the past year. And one of the, the, one of the beautiful things about just preaching through a book like this is that you don't get to choose what you're going to be preaching about. You come to the text and you ask, God, what do you have for us from your word today? And there's something that keeps you bound to that. And, and sometimes it's it's, it's great. You get to preach about something you're really excited about. And sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know, how does this apply to me? I don't, I don't. So I guess I trust as we come to this, this text today that we, we can open up our lives, take a look at our own hearts and, and ask God, Lord, what, what do you have for me from your word today? What are you trying to tell me? Is there something I need to change in my life? Is there a, maybe a new perspective I need to think about? So I, my prayer is that, that this can apply to everyone here and that we can, we can come away challenged and, and changed. James chapter 5, only one verse today, uh, verse 12. Now, James is, is sort of transitioning to the end of his letter, and he starts by saying, 
but above all, my brothers. And that sort of signals that he's transitioning to the end of the, of the, of the letter. He's sort of closing things down. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Why don't we just bow our heads for prayer again, if that's okay with you. Lord, we just come before you right now and just I just open up my own heart. I just open up our, our church right now and ask that you, would, um, that you would meet us right where we're at this morning and that we could apply this, this, this teaching and this command to our own lives in, in whatever way you see fit. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit could move in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what exactly is swearing? He, he uses the word swearing, uh, do not swear, and then he says, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And I guess I want to look at a couple modern examples of what, what does swearing mean today? I work on a lot of co- uh, construction sites where, where usually the guys on, that you meet out on, on, on job sites use a lot of profanity, uh, a lot of, of dirty language, and often when I hear the word swearing, I, that's the type of that's the type of language I'm I, I'm thinking about. But the word swearing that James is using here today does not mean profanity, though it can mean profanity. It can include profanity. Swearing here means to make a statement or a promise under oath. That's the Merriam-Webster's uh, definition. Swearing an oath is basically saying what I am telling you is so true that if you find out I'm lying, I will be punished by the conditions of my oath. Today, there's sort of two different kinds of swearing used. Uh, there's, there's one that's more of a, of a sol- like a really solemn legal situation. And a couple examples of that, of, of an oath being sworn, is, is the presidential oath of office. So if you watch the president, uh, a new president being sworn in, he'll put his hand on the Bible and uh, raise his, his, I'm not even sure how it's done. Basically, he he, they, they, he's sworn into office uh, using the presidential oath of office. When you enlist or enroll into the military, you swear an oath that you're, you are going to stay true to your commitment, uh, so much so that if you don't, you can be punished by the law. If you testify in court, uh, the judge will ask you, do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the, t- the testimony you're about to give is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And in essence, you are saying, if I lie under this oath, I will be punished by the law. So that's sort of the first type of swearing we have today. The second is sort of more used in everyday conversation. And often you'll hear this in conversation between people if someone is sharing a story that is sort of hard to believe. Hunting and fishing stories sort of come to mind. You guys know what I'm talking about. And it's usually done in sort of a flippant way. And this type of swearing usually invokes something holy or divine as a witness that their story is true. And you hear it done like this. I swear to God. I swear to God. Or I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear on all that is holy. And some people don't even bother to say, I swear, they just say, by God. Or Jesus Christ. In a very flippant and and uh, in, in sort of casual way. So that's sort of the second type of, of swearing that we, we see today. The one that's probably most common for us is, and it's, I wouldn't even say it's a swear, but this is just an example that I think all of us know, 
and that is a pinky swear. Uh, and growing up, I, we didn't say pinky swear, we said pinky promise. And what a pinky promise is, why don't you guys just like reach over to your neighbor and lock pinkies with your neighbor, if you feel comfortable to do so. Essentially what a pinky promise is, it has its origins in Japan. Uh, it comes from Japan way back, and it's a word called yubikiri. You can let go now if you're still doing that. <laughs> And the word yubikiri literally means finger cut off. And in the Japanese way of taking everything to the next level, uh, they would say, pinky swear, whoever lies will be made to swallow a thousand needles. So what basically you're saying, if you're making a pact or you're promising something to a friend, you're saying, if I lie and you find out I lied, you can either cut my finger off or make me swallow a thousand needles. Pretty intense. So what James is dealing with here, he's, he's speaking to a problem, I think, or, or, or to a practice that goes way back and has its roots in the Old Testament. And what I want to do is look at a couple examples or, uh, of what, what was swearing like and the use of oaths in the Old Testament, and then come forward to the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say about that practice and how we live that out today. So in the Old Testament, swearing of oaths, were, they were a common practice in everyday life as well as in more like weighty legal matters. They were used in, uh, to form contracts or treaties. Uh, in Genesis 21, we have the first account of, of an oath being sworn, and this is between Abraham and Abimelech. So Abraham says, basically they're, uh, Abimelech is afraid that, that there will be conflict between him and Abraham, and so they, swear, make, a, uh, they, they make a sacrifice and... Let me see here. In verse 23, Abimelech tells Abraham, Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my eight descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Several other examples of swearing and, and oath-making in the Old Testament are when Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, the angel comes and stops the sacrifice and reminds uh, and tells Abraham, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. So there we see God swearing by himself. There was no one greater to swear by. Uh, Abraham's, when Abraham's servant goes to find a, a wife for Isaac, he tells his servant, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. When Esau sells his birthright to Jacob, he, he, uh, Jacob makes him swear an oath that he will follow through with that. And then in, uh, in, towards the end of Genesis, uh, Jacob tells Joseph and his sons, I, I bury me with my fathers. Bury me in the land of my fathers. And Joseph says, okay, yes. And then he says, swear to me. Swear to me that you will bury me in the land of my fathers. So some of the laws in the Old Testament regarding the swearing of oaths, I want to look at that a little bit. So the, the Jews were permitted to swear by God's name as their ultimate witness. Uh, they were permitted in the Old Testament to do so. In fact, they were commanded to do so. In uh, Deuteronomy 6.13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So if they were to swear an oath, it was always by God's name. Numbers 30, verses 1 and 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, 
He shall not break, break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So there was, there was this, this heavy sense that when you made an oath, using, invoking God's name, you were placing yourself under his, I guess, under, under him in a way that if you broke that oath, you were at the mercy, you were at, under the wrath of God. You were putting yourself in a very, very dangerous place. And the Jews understood this to, to be a direct, directly connected to the third commandment. The third commandment was, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now today we often think of that uh, meaning uh, like using God as a curse word. But it meant, it meant much more than that for the Jewish people. It meant doing something in God's name that was sin. Or uh, making an oath, invoking God's name, and then breaking that oath. Going against your against your the, the the oath that you swore in God's name, they were very very careful to do that. So fast forwarding up in, up to the time of Jesus. By the time of Jesus, they had they were so careful to to not break that third commandment of taking Jesus' name in vain that they would swear by everything except God's name. So in the Old Testament, God said only swear by my name. By the time of Jesus, people, they were swearing. Uh, they were swearing by the temple, by the gold on the temple, by their own head, by Jerusalem, by the angels, by heaven, by earth. Everything that sort of got really close to God, but not quite there because they were so afraid of breaking that third commandment of taking God's name in vain. We'll come back to the New Testament in a little bit later, but for now, I want to make a couple points regarding this whole practice of swearing oaths. The first point I want to make is that swearing is based on distrust. Swearing is based on distrust. Dallas Willard shares a story of a little girl. Uh, I'm just going to call her Alice. So Alice is in Sunday school, and the teacher asks uh, the class, what is the definition of lying? Alice thinks a little bit. She raises her hand, and the teacher said, yes, Alice. She says, the definition of lying is that a lying is an abomination to the Lord and an ever-present help in the time of trouble. And puts her hand on. <laughs> so Alice, she, she learned a lesson that I think all of us sort of learn as young people at some point in our lives, that lying is a quick and easy, if not temporary, uh, way of getting yourself out of a pinch. It's, a, it's an easy way to get yourself out of trouble. It's temporary, but in the middle of it, it's, it's an easy way. Now, because of this tendency in people to lie or to twist the truth, as humans, we learn to not trust each other. We learn to not trust each other's words because of this tendency. We're afraid that people won't keep their word or that they aren't telling the full truth or that they're twisting the truth. And in order to deal with that problem, the same way that Christy would have if she uh, wanted to use the restroom the next evening, uh, humans have invented this mechanism of dealing with that. And that is swearing of oaths and binding themselves to something that is greater than just their words. It's, it's a way of like reinforcing your language or, or backfilling it. It's almost like your words have lost meaning and you need to like, like cram it full of more of, 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 of something else to keep your words together and to actually mean something. So that's, so humans have invented this, this idea of, of swearing and oath making. And now, for the deer hunter, instead of saying the deer, uh, saying, hey, I saw, telling his buddies, hey, I saw a 12 point buck, 
you, you'll hear him say, I swear to God, I saw a 12 point buck. It's like, why all of a sudden his words don't mean enough. And if lying didn't exist in the first place, there would be no need for swearing and for oath making. There would be no need for swearing. There would be no need for oath making, even in the court of law, if lying wasn't a human problem in the first place. You see this sort of play out when Peter denies Jesus. The servant girl, they're sitting around the campfire sort of warming themselves, and a servant girl tells him, hey, you also were with Jesus. And Peter responds, first thing he says is, I do not know what you mean. You see his words there. Uh, You see this sort of escalate a little bit each time. And the second time when he's asked, the second time Matthew says, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. All of a sudden he saw that he wasn't, his words weren't being believed and he felt the need to reinforce his words with an oath. And the third time he began, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Now I don't know if anyone around that campfire knew Peter personally, but I imagine if they knew, if they came away from that knowing that he had lied, they came away from that campfire having their trust in humans eroded. And this whole thing just reinforced uh, the, the idea for the need of oaths. Swearing is based on distrust. I want to illustrate this a little bit. This, um, my handwriting is terrible, and I hope you people in the back can sort of see it. So it's sort of like, it's, it's like this vicious cycle that, that we make, and it's, it's like a, it's basically we start, I'm just going to call this a vicious, vicious cycle of, of swearing. So up top here, you make, we have a statement. Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, let's say I'm telling Christy I'm going to take the trash out. Okay, so I say, I'm going to take the trash out. And she doesn't actually believe me. She lacks belief in me because last time when I had told her I'd take the trash out, I didn't follow through. I didn't do it. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. No follow through. It's harder to write in front of people when you're, uh, well, it's just hard to write in front of people. So now because she doesn't believe me, I, my, my words have, have lost their meaning. And in order for her to really believe me, I feel the need to, to, to reinforce my language with, with an oath or with a promise. Um, I don't swear. I, I'm sure most of you, if all of you don't, but this is the, the general human solution to this is, is basically insert, uh, reinforce your words with, with swearing, promise. No, I promise I, I will do it. I swear I'll do it. If I don't do it, you can, you know, make me sleep on the couch or something. And because I don't follow through, she just doesn't trust me. Like, like trust is eroded. So, so that next week when she asked me to take out the trash and I say, I'll take out the trash, she doesn't actually really believe me because my words have lost meaning. They've lost meaning. We'll come back to that a little bit later. So swearing is based on distrust. The second point I want to make is that Jesus makes swearing obsolete. Jesus makes swearing obsolete. And that obsolete basically means it's, 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 um, it's outdated or, or it's, it's no longer in use. My coworker wanted to, uh, wanted to buy an MP3 player. He's a young Amish guy. And so I was, we're talking about, I basically, he ended up buying an old iPod Nano. For those of you who remember what those are, they were sort of the, the you know the in thing back in the 2000s. Um, so he ordered it, um, and he asked me to download some music for him on it. So I I took it home, plugged it into my computer, and and like I figured out or found out that basically those things are obsolete. They're they're out of date, 
and Apple no longer manages them. They've totally st- actually, they've stopped producing them. So they're totally they're totally obsolete. They're they're long, no longer in use. So Jesus makes swearing obsolete. So in the Old Testament, we saw that God permitted swearing. He permitted uh, swearing in His name. But by the time of Jesus, the Jews had all kinds of little laws and little qualifications around the swearing of oaths, and mainly because they were so careful to not break the third commandment. And when Jesus comes uh, and he shares a sermon on the mount, uh, he cuts straight to the heart of this whole of this whole issue. Turn to Matthew five, Matthew five thirty three through thirty seven, and he's he's addressing this. He's addressing mainly the Jewish system of swearing and all the little laws around that. He says, "Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn.'" But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So when Jesus comes, uh, he radically changes the human heart. And for those of us who have had our hearts changed by Jesus, we, we've experienced this. But he casts a, a vision for what the, the broken world's way of dealing with lying. He, he, he casts a, a whole new vision of, of, of how to do life. He basically, in his, in his way, he says, you have no need to swear oaths. If you actually follow me and you do as I command and as I teach, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Your words will be, will, will, your, the meaning of your words will be restored. And trust is restored. Um, he, his way, Jesus' way, reinfuses just a simple language with meaning and with weight. And his, his, the way of Jesus sort of resets or updates the hum, hu, human's ways of, of, of dealing with, with lying and with language. So, coming back to this here, we saw, Statement, hey, I'm going to take out the trash. And Christy struggles to believe me if I, because last time I didn't do it. And so therefore I feel a need to like insert my language with a bunch of swearing and promises and, and all this. Because of this whole system, trust has eroded. So this is a cycle that keeps going. When Jesus comes, he basically like totally eliminates this whole step right here. And just like, it just simplifies everything. Now instead of, if, if we follow Jesus in, 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 in his way of dealing with our language and with what we say we're going to do, I take out the trash. And Christy believes me because she knows that last week I actually took out the trash. She doesn't require me now to say, well, do you promise? Do you swear? And trust is built up. And, and when this whole system keeps going, when we actually, when our yes means yes and our no means no, trust is reinforced. In Jesus, in Jesus' way, it doesn't mean it's always easy, um, because the truth, the truth is sometimes difficult to to say. And lying is a temptation, just because we're we're humans. And lying is usually done because because it's it's a short term fix to our problem. And what Jesus says is is don't don't even go down that path. Let your yes be yes and your no no, and follow through with what you say. Do people have confidence in your words? Do people trust? you when you commit to do something or not do something? Or do I feel, do do I feel compelled to say things like, this time I promise I'll do it, or 
I promise I won't do it again. And this plays out in everyday little things. Maybe you're late to work consistently. I, I have struggled with that myself. Maybe I, you, you struggle to forget to do what you said you were going to do. Maybe you make a promise to your children that you're going to do something nice for them and you just keep putting it off, keep putting it off. This whole system works with them too. They might stop asking you because they just don't trust you anymore. As, as God's people, we carry his name in the world in the same way as the Israelites did in the, in the Old Testament. They carried, they represented God in the world. And when people see us today, they are watching us to see what is God like? They say they follow God. What is God like? And when our yes means yes and our no means no, they think to themselves, I can trust God. God can be trusted. God is a God whose, whose words mean what they, he, what they say. I can trust God. And as God's people, we get, to, we get to demonstrate to the world that God is a trustworthy God, that he, he is one that we can follow, and that his words carry the weight that they do. In closing, uh, I have a quote by Clement of Alexandria. He's one of the early church fathers. And this whole teaching, this whole teaching changed, had radical effects in the early church, and in the early world, because this whole swearing of oaths thing was a huge part of the world. And when Jesus came along and established the church, the early Christians radically changed how they, how they did life. This meant they couldn't swear in the marketplace anymore, in the legal system, for their jobs, and it cost them. But Clement of Alexandria says, said, A Christian should maintain a life calculated to inspire confidence among those on the outside so that they will not even ask for an oath. A Christian should maintain a life calculated to inspire confidence among those on the outside so that they will not even ask for an oath.